Um, I should introduce myself. So my name is Danny, and I live in Melbourne now. I'm originally from Malaysia. I was born in Penang, where Leslie has visited many years ago. I met Leslie at the at the um, at the break earlier, and um, and so I moved to. Um, um, I studied medicine initially in Malaysia for a couple of years where I met Gracia and Sebastian, and then we moved to different parts of, of the world to complete our medical studies. So I moved to Tasmania and, and I lived there for um, 10 years. It was a beautiful place. I started working there, started my career in psychiatry, and then moved to Melbourne about six years ago. And um, it, as part of that journey, um, I, I trained as a doctor in, 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 and then into psychiatry. And through that journey, um, got interested in terms of working with children and adolescents. So I'm a child and adolescent psychiatrist, and that's what I do day to day. I'm helping children and, and families with a whole range of mental health problems and difficulties. I work with, um, with I work with parents and families and their schools. I rarely work with children on their own because children really um, exist within a, uh, within a system and of, of care around them. Um, my disclaimer is this, that um, while I've, create, um, I've gotten myself into, into a career where I um, give advice to parents and coach them and support them through um, mental health difficulties with children, I'm not a parent myself, I'm single, and, and, and people ask me, how do you do that? And I was telling Margot and, and Marty yesterday, sometimes it's just easier to help other people with their problems than to, than to deal with my own. <laughs> so um, that's, that's, I just thought I'll just put that out there to begin with. And uh, the second thing really is, um, I should really be uh, invited to speak to your women's event, given that I'm single. So that would be the best place to really uh, bring, bring uh, some light in terms of mental health. So um, I look forward to the invitation one day. Um, so uh, yeah, um, I, I guess um, this has come about um, really in the last couple of years for me in this journey about speaking in mental health and, 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 and speaking in, in this ministry. Um, the really, the, um, how it started off was I had a friend who is now a youth pastor in the church where I used to attend in Malaysia who got in touch because there were a couple of young people that had died from suicide and it had a massive ripple effect on the church and the family. And, and, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with, with that context, but um, while it's a modern city and in many ways there isn't a lot of resourcing like we do in healthcare, particularly in the area of mental health. There's free healthcare for a lot of other things, but accessing mental health support uh, had been quite difficult um, and also and, and as a result a lot of things um, fell onto the laps of pastors, lay leaders, connect group leaders having to take phone calls 24 hours a day dealing with crises. So I started off working with the team there, um, developing uh, a youth care team to build capacity to be able to equip and train um, the, ch uh, the the church staff and also um, volunteer leaders in terms of having a better understanding in this area so that we can be better equipped. The, and the reason I'm, 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 I'm particularly passionate about this area in terms of training, learning, equipment, equipping is because I think that's a, that will be the game changer. If we can have a look at the next slide, really, um, I've, I've really kind of stuck on this quote where we tend to fear um, we tend to avoid what we fear, and what we fear, what we do not understand. So oftentimes, I think, particularly in mental health, in the Christian space, throughout the history of the church, we've heard lots of different messages around what mental health is. Um, we've heard different messages around what people have thought the Bible says about mental health, and, and it leads to a range of different ideas around it. And the lack of understanding can lead to often quite polarized views. On one hand, you, you would have 
um, a group of people that would avoid it completely, don't want to know about it, it's too hard, and that's a result of the lack of understanding. On the other hand, um, there will be a group of people that would have responded to the grief and despair through in confusion and perhaps communicated lots of different messages around mental health. So today, I'm hoping to bring us back to the center, to in the middle, to be able to understand a bit more clear, clearly about what we are referring to in terms of mental health. I'll spend a, you know, five, 10 minutes about, about that, talking about that from a very practical perspective, but I hope to dig a little bit deeper and share my Christian perspective in terms of understanding mental health, because I think that's probably most relevant to all of us here. When, um, I, I mentioned in a prayer earlier that um, one in four people uh, around the world struggle with mental health difficulties. And um, this is um, really a very, very large, significant um, number. And this is, not, this is not specific in Australia. This is across a high middle and, and low income countries across the world. This is research from the World Health Organization. This is the statistics in America, in Europe, in Asia, in Australia. So wherever we go around the world, this is the statistics that we, we are hearing. And what is it that we're referring to in terms of one, of one in four people? It really, it's this, mental health difficulties. So first of all, we need to know that <clears throat> we all have mental health. Mental health, like our physical health, it's part of um, our day-to-day -day living. It refers to our ability to manage and experience emotions, thoughts, and feelings to be able to li live a productive and healthy life. Very much like physical health, this is something that we all have. So I just want you to turn to the person next to you and say to them, you have mental health. So the reason I, I asked you to do this is this. It's part of our day-to-day -day living. This is normal. Mental health affects all of us. It is something that describes how we are doing with our health, much like physical health. And I can assure that the more we use that language in our day-to-day -day life, that mental health is normal, you have mental health, I have mental health, the more comfortable we'll be in terms of talking about the mental health problems, which is the next step. So I can assure you, you haven't cursed the person sitting next to you by telling them that they have mental health. In terms of mental health, it is not a um, situation where it's present or absent. All of us live in a continuum. On one hand, in a particular point of our life, we might be experiencing good mental health. We might be able to manage our emotions. And this is not about being happy. This is about being able to experience a range of different emotions from sadness, fear, anger. That is all part of good mental health and ability to manage those feelings so that, they, they, that we're able to live productive lives and be able to enjoy relationships, have meaning, and understand and explore the world around us. Sometimes throughout our lives, we might experience dif different um, issues, tragedies, losses, and that might move us up on that continuum where we might struggle with grief, loss, um, insecurity, things that, that threaten um, our sense of safety and security. There could be um, quite severe tragedy, tragedies. And the line of work that I, I, I'm, I'm in, I have the privilege also, the, the sad opportunity of meeting lots of different people who have experienced things that I can't even imagine um, of experiencing. And so I, I, there's a range of different things that might happen to us at different times that might move someone up that continuum. And equally, um, moving back down to that continuum when situations improve and the things that would help um, 
um, move, down, move us back down into the area of good mental health. At some point, though, when um, a number of those stresses or problems accumulate or come together in much like a perfect storm, it can lead us to the, to the other end of the spectrum where we uh, would suffer uh, more severe mental health problems, which affects probably about um, you know, 1 to 25% of the population, depending on what kind of mental health problems you're describing. I'm not wanting to get into the details of the different types of diagnoses and problems. Um, I suggest you go to medical school or psychology school to do that, not uh, in a 30-minute uh, talk at church. But I just really wanted us to get the point that this is something that can affect all of us. It's not about us and them. This is we're all in this, and, and we move up and down in our mental health depending on what might be happening at a particular point of time. And at, at, at certain points of that spectrum, we may need to seek professional help because um, some of the things that we do in terms of the practical strategies or you know, the, the sensible things that we do are not, tend not to work when they are the, at the extreme spectrum of mental health struggles and difficulties. We do need to seek professional help at, at, that, at that point. Um, unfortunately, sadly, two-thirds of people struggling with mental health problems around the world don't get help for it. Um, and that's very sad. And a, a couple of reasons universally across the world really has been that um, the lack of access is a huge problem, but the biggest problem really is stigma. Stigma, I'll relate that to what the, the slide I showed earlier on around fear and avoidance because um, fear stops us from being able to speak out. Fear stops us from being able to, to, to acknowledge issues and get help. But also fear cripples the way that we respond to people who are struggling as well. So stigma happens at, a, at, a, at many different levels. And the, one of the uh, most important mechanisms or strategies or approaches in terms of reducing stigma is to actually um, speak out about this area. And that's the whole point of this, this talk, really. And I'm great that you're, 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 you're listening and intending to this. In terms of um, the issues that I see, I've had an opportunity to do talks like this across uh, different countries. I've been to a, a few cities in Malaysia, in, um, I've been in Sydney, Melbourne, I've spoken to my own church in Melbourne and in Malaysia, and also at a church in New York where my, um, my, where my cousin attends when I went there recently. And quite interestingly, across different cultures, different um, socioeconomic and demographic groups, different um, nations, the issues around stigma and mental health are actually universal no matter where, where you go. And so even if you take away all the barriers, say uh, someone funds billions of dollars into mental health to, to, to uh, employ more professionals, it, that th on its own doesn't actually ad address the issue of stigma. It really re requires a whole community and a whole population approach in terms of being able to understand and, and speak into this area a little bit more. Can we move to the next slide? One of the things that I mentioned earlier that I'm passionate about is this, um, as a psychiatrist, I meet lots of different people who have had mental health struggles for a very long time. They haven't had the right help much early on and uh, have ended up with some very long-term problems. So this is why I ended, I ended up in the field of child and adolescent psychiatry where I can be where I'm able to help young people and their families much earlier on and, and set them onto a healthier mental health trajectory. Uh, really, um, 
we think that children don't experience mental health. We think that this is an issue affecting older adults and older people. But the reality is that 75% of mental health problems across the entire lifespan, so if you look at the entire world, the entire population, the entire age group from zero to 100, 75% of all mental health difficulties emerged prior to the age of 25. They may not have been diagnosed, picked up, or they may not have been assisted at that time, but a significant um, amount of, um, of challenges and difficulties really um, st have started much early on, and it's important for us to intervene early and to build resilience in, in children and young people much earlier in the process to deal with the ups and downs of, of life. In fact, some of the uh, schools Quite a number of the schools around the country have started in implementing social and emotional cu curriculum, uh, which are starting to teach um, children around being able to understand emotions and mental health and, and ways to build resilience um, within that. Could we have a look at the next slide? So now the resilience isn't the ab absence of problems. You've just probably been lucky or living in, <laughs> not with everybody else, okay? So resilience isn't um, that we don't encounter problems or we don't uh, struggle with um, challenging mental health conditions or issues or, or uh, experience failures. Resilience really is the, the ability to deal with the ups and downs of life with optimism and, and hope. And I'll come back to this point towards the end of the talk. All of us um, go through challenging difficulties. We go through ups and downs. Our natural response, our natural uh, reaction to things that are unpleasant or, or challenging is to run away. We want to retreat or we want to hide. That is just a normal human reaction to unpleasant situations. But what actually builds stronger resilience is to be able to approach those challenging times, those changes, those um, fearful situations, um, and embrace them as learning opportunities, not situations we want to avoid. I'll speak to a personal example. Uh, my mom passed away uh, a couple of years ago and uh, I went through grief, obviously, I went through a whole journey, and her, her life was a, another, whole, another whole testimony around God's faithfulness. But really, for me at that time, um, going through grief, the natural response was for this to be over, I just want to move on. But actually, what I found myself doing in that situation is to turn to God and to seek Him, and I found Him gracious, I experienced God in a way that I never did at any other point of my life. And, and through that, there was a transformation for myself in terms of um, in my inside me, in terms of being able to reshape my priorities in life around people and relationships rather than achievements and things that I possessions that I own. And this happened during a, a period of working through grief and embracing that grief. And, and, and look, I'm not suggesting you look forward to unpleasant situations, that would be, um, that would be a, you know, a topic for another conversation. But, <laughs> but really, it's about being able to look at the situation and kind of go, yeah, this is tough. This is hard. How can I get people around me to support me in this, this time? But th these challenging periods are necessary as part of our growth. And um, I'm not saying that just from a professional perspective. I listened to party Pastor Marty McCrindle's message on the 6th of October on his podcast that really talked about the purpose of suffering. And this is exactly what I'm talking about in terms of the importance of being able to embrace the ups and downs in life and, and, and challenges because that, that is what builds resilience, not the absence of, of problems. 
Um, can we move on to the uh, next bit? Um, I've been speaking at a few different venues and using this hashtag called Don't Just Pray It Away. First of all, I'm not a heretic. I'm telling you, not telling you not to pray. I'm saying don't just pray because I'm speaking to a faithful congregation whose first response or default response to any situation is to pray. That should be our position as Christians. Our first response, our default to every single situation is to firstly pray, not to leave that as a last resort. But let's just, the, the important thing for us to realize, particularly in this health realm, is that, that we shouldn't just pray it away. For, and the two key messages I want to impart today, really one is that it's important to seek professional help when we need to, um, and there is um, great professional help available um, in, in Australia, in the, in the cities that we live in. Of course, we would like it to be better, but compare, comparing to the other parts of the world that I've been to and spoken, uh, spoken at, um, we are really doing quite well in terms of being able to access professional help. Um, can we move on to the next slide? In terms of how we all fit in, I think as a church, as a community, we play a very important part in terms of providing those informal support, supporting people through grief and transitions, losses, exam stress, um, marriage stress, school stress, all sorts of stresses that, that life throws at us. And it's in this part of that spectrum of mental health that we probably play the best role in terms of being able to be practical, to love people, to pray people, to assist them. But there are times when, when people might move up on that continuum of uh, struggling with mental health difficulties and need professional help. And that's what our role is as a church in that green zone to be able to assist people to move up to the yellow zone in terms of getting the right help they need um, uh, for specific mental health conditions. And one of the best ways to do that is through your GP. That's always a good start uh, through your pastoral staff who would have great resources to direct you. Um, and also at schools, there are great well-being teams. And, and for um, and preschoolers, that's, um, your maternal child health nurse will be an initial kind of um, um, uh, place of support in terms of linking you to, with the right services. And the reason is this, this um, if you're wondering about whether or not it's you're struggling with something more than just what life brings at you, it's important to get it checked out, even to be reassured, rather than leave things unturned. For example, if you have a lump in your neck, you're not going to sit there and just wonder, what's this lump in my neck? And maybe you do. But we generally go and check it out to find out, is this maybe um, something more sinister? Or it could be something that isn't sinister that might, might just go away. But we usually would go and get things checked out. Similarly, for mental health challenges and difficulties, we need to approach it in a similar way that we do our physical health and not to leave things unattended. Because as we know, in terms of physical health, uh, when we don't attend to things, we end up dealing with more severe consequences down the track. So similarly, in terms of mental health, getting help early is a very important uh, message. Uh, can we get the next slide up? In terms of talking about mental health difficulties, I'm just going to keep it really simple. Sometimes we overcomplicate things. Um, we try and get the most optimum circumstance to talk about something. Sometimes we wait for the right venue, the right time, the right setting, and then nothing actually ends up happening. So it's really about keeping the message really simple in terms of staying calm, keeping the message clear and speak out, and not trying to find the most optimum time or message. Because it's a little bit the analogy I often use when I work with children and young people in, in terms of um, speaking about getting help is this. If you were drowning and, and a rescue boat comes along, 
you're not going to um, be offered 10 different ways that you like to be saved. Would you like a, a life ring that is round, square, triangle, pink, green, or blue? No, you're just going to throw the life ring there, say, grab on, come on to the boat. Keep the message really simple. And similarly, in terms of mental health, we want to keep the message really simple in terms of saying, put, put your hand up or speak up to someone that says, yes, I need help. And obviously, there are things that uh, will be helpful for us to learn it and as a, ch as a church more broadly in terms of how do we respond to this. But at a, as a first step, we really need to keep the message very clear and very simple by just saying, yes, help. The things that we can do as a church would be to stay calm, to be willing to learn um, from the person that you're, you're speaking to, be able to listen and not necessarily jump to giving advice. This is you know, communication and parenting teenagers one-on-one, -on -one. but this, these principles are really helpful in terms of just keeping things simple and just be a listener rather than a problem solver. So now, I'm not sure what your attention span is like, but if your attention span is like mine, I would have lost 50% of the audience. You would have started planning your lunch and your dinner and your grocery, grocery list for the week. I've been in church for a long time. I know what it's like. So this is the time I'm telling you to get back into, because this is probably one of the most important parts of the message. After the next five minutes, if you want to doze off, that's okay. But let's, can we have the next slide up? Um, so, interestingly, um, when we look at mental health challenges and difficulties, they often occur around events that affect our identity and reputation. They, um, through the, the different situations, circumstances, and tragedies that affect us, and sometimes we wonder, why is it that one tragedy affects one person um, this way, and it doesn't affect another person in another way? And through the work that I do um, professionally, I, when you explore and understand the story a little bit more, there's a lot tied up in terms of the impact on, of those losses and those situations on one's identity and reputation. And as a, as a Christian, I, I started thinking, why, why is that? And so obviously, as a Christian, the best thing to do is to look at your Bible. So I went to Genesis, in um, Genesis 3, verses 6 and 7, when, um, as a result of the original sin, when, uh, when Eve uh, ate of the fruit, passed it to the husband, and they realized their, their sin against God and realized their nakedness, they started to sow fig leaves to cover up their shame and nakedness. Everyone knows that verse? Yep. Okay, so my idea and how I link this up is really that the things that we have around us, our relationships, our material things, our achievements, the things that we surround ourselves with day to day, which are important, are like those fig leaves that cover up our nakedness and our shame. When there's a threat and loss to those things, it leaves us in situations where we experience overwhelming shame and fear and rejection. And so this is my theory, I guess my idea around how I link having the struggles I see in mental health difficulties and what the Bible says about our, and who we are in terms of relationship with God. I'm not saying um, those things are not important. We can't be walking around naked. We can't be um, not doing things that actually uh, feed, um, I guess, our sense of security, but that must not be the priority in our life. The most important priority of in our life is our relationship with Jesus because that gives us the ultimate security to be able to experience his grace in fullness so that when the things that um, affect us, um, when, when the, thing, the things that affect our identity and reputation 
that there's a buffering effect to that. I'm not saying that this, is, this explains every single mental health condition, but generally, when um, we put a lot of emphasis on things that affect our identity and reputation, it certainly makes us more vulnerable. A couple of myths I really want to speak to in, in terms of mental health in this area is this, and um, you know, can we move on to the next slide? In terms, I guess, going back to uh, the idea of not just praying away, I've heard lots of different messages being communicated uh, in, in church, sometimes plat on a platform, off platform, around mental health, that mental health conditions are due to a curse, is due to something that you or your family or someone else has done, and therefore, um, this, this is the outcome and result of that. And um, I've had uh, people being brought to me asking for uh, exorcism and all sorts of things. Okay. I, I think um, I really want to not create an another layer of judgment and condemnation. I believe that people are coming from a place they, they're trying to help, they're trying to love people the best way that they can, but they don't understand. So I, I really don't want to create another, another level of condemnation and judgment. This is really about helping all of us understand so that we can respond in a way that is as helpful as possible. Fundamentally, as a result of the fall, we live in a fallen world. We, and that is the reason why we experience suffering of all sorts, that's why there's tragedies. That's why um, a three-year-old can, can pass away suddenly like that. It's not because God sits on a throne somewhere and throws, throws tragedies and judgment on, on people individually. It's important. This, this does not, that idea does not reflect the character of God, which is mercy and love and goodness and kindness. And this is really important because we are, we are, we're faced with all sorts of dilemmas and challenges today in our world. And the things to go back to really are this, that God is sovereign over our good times and our bad times. Our victories and our suffering, He is sovereign. He's not less sovereign or somehow that the suffering does not kind of fit in in terms of His space. He is above all, all of that. He's, he is sovereign. And that we live in a fallen world, not because... Um, that we, you know, somehow deserve um, punishment in a specific sort of way. The other thing in, that's really important for us to keep in mind is that God is mercy, God is good, um, and uh, as a result of his, Him coming and, and dying on a cross for our sins and His resurrection, He has won the, the ultimate victory against death, um, and the battle belongs to Him. And so the things that the enemy kind of um, intends for, for evil, he's, he's able to turn that for good through our suffering and through our journey. Another point that I think is really important to keep in mind within that is that, yes, um, God released his Holy Spirit to us when Jesus left the earth for us to have, the, for the ability to uh, walk in authority and to be able to exercise the gifts of the Holy Spirit and to give us a glimpse of what heaven looks like. It's not the full revelation of what heaven looks like on earth, but these are the good things that he has given us as a, as a revelation of his character in today's time in our fallen world to be experienced good things, including medical help, including medicine, including things that are helpful that make this world good. So the kindness, the charity for Christians and non-Christians happen as a result of a revelation of God's character, not because that people choose to do good, that this is all part of God's design, that all that is good in this world comes from God, including helpful things and, and medicine. So it's really important that we keep in mind um, where 
our understanding around that when we think about prayer, healing, and particularly around mental health and spiritual issues. First of all, in the Bible, there aren't situations where it's spiritual or not spiritual. This is something that has crept into the secularity of the church and the world and that division. But the Bible, in the Bible, in the, the, in the, in, in, for, um, I guess, um, um, the, the Hebrew people, everything is spiritual. There isn't something that is not spiritual. And, and, the, and in the New Testament, it tells us God, that God is spirit. Um, and so there isn't something that actually is not spiritual. So I think it's really important that we also um, uh, come from that perspective so we don't get caught up in divides in terms of trying to figure out whether mental health problems are spiritual or not. Another important point I think that I want to, to impart really is that the, the real purpose of healing miracles in the Bible is to accompany the preaching of the gospel to glorify God's name. It is, it is to release people for ministry. It's a demonstration of God's supernatural authority and power on earth to, to, to reveal to the people who he is, how good he is. His, um, he reveals his mercy and his power on earth. It's not primarily for our personal convenience. So I'm not I don't, I don't want to put more hierarchies and rules around prayer and healing and ministry, but I just want us to get back to the main purpose of healing in Jesus' ministry was to accompany the preaching of the gospel, to glorify his name, not for our personal convenience. And so with that, it's also not designed for us to test God. So if you suffer from cancer and there is a known treatment for that, making a decision to not take the known treatment to, to then only want to pray about something is a form of testing God because God has already provided something good in this world to help you in your circumstance. And so I think it's really important for us to keep the same principle in mind when we think of mental health issues because there are good things as a result of a revelation of God's character on earth that's allowed us to be able to get help for mental health difficulties. And the and um, I really don't want to communicate the wrong message that I believe in healing. I believe in instantaneous healing. I believe in, in faith and through faith and prayer that God will, will heal us through his revelation of his character um, and his goodness, but for the purpose of his, of his glory. So it's really important. I don't, I don't want to set up more rules around that, but it's really important for us to remember and know the primary purpose of of um, healing in this area, and this applies to mental health um, as well. And so I guess where does this leave us as a church? I think um, there are a couple of things. Being able to have a clear understanding of this is really important because mental health issues really is the mission field of our time. That at a point, at, at, at different parts of history, the church has been the forefront of meeting the gaps where things are not provided, right from clean water, medicine, um, building houses, providing education, um, you know, all sorts of things throughout the course of history. And in mental health, there are gaps as much as there, there's great advancements in science and mental health. We don't have all the answers as professionals. And because of the fallen world that we live in, we ultimately need Jesus. But as a church, we need to rise up to be able to disciple people who are struggling with mental health difficulties with compassion, with kindness, and with the truth that what, of God, what God has revealed through His Word and, and His Spirit in our life, to be able to love people in a way that embraces them and loves them, and for us to then reveal God's character through our life and our, and our journey. So what, as a church, a couple of things. Individually, is, and when we are able to uh, speak up about mental health, it 
creates safety. It creates ability to um, um, normalize a lot of challenges and difficulties. It takes away the fear surrounding speaking about mental health difficulties. Individually, also, the personal decisions that we make in terms of knowing well, where am I at in this journey? How I can take the next steps? So this may range from actually kind of being kind to someone, being smiling at someone, being able to be compassionate and to listen without judgment, right from actually wanting to pursue a career where you can make a difference professionally as well, either in full-time ministry or some kind of uh, a counseling uh, ministry too. So it's a whole range of different things that we might individually respond as a result of, of, of this. Of this. But also, one of the most um, important things that in some ways is quite, quite easy to apply is this. So there are some things we need to stop doing. We need to stop imposing judgment, different rules, uh, different ideas. We need to stop giving people who are different from us or might behave a bit differently from us funny looks. It's those eye rolls, those head turns that actually have a very uh, a bigger impact than what you actually say. So as a ch as, and that requires an individual response in terms of our commitment to love people and to stop being aware of what we're doing and to stop some of those things. Corporately, there are things that you're already doing as a church in terms of the men's brunch, having these kind of uh, talks um, here, being able to speak out. And I was saying to Pastor Marty and Margot yesterday, um, the professionals can speak out and do as much research as we want, but what makes the most difference impact in people's lives is the, the importance of lived experience. When someone who ex has experienced mental health difficulty is able to speak out, they're not only doing something for themselves, but it it's a game changer for so many people around them. So. I think it's really important that there are things that we might do individually and corporately, but being able to speak out if you're a teacher, if you're a father, being able to, um, or father and mother, if you're a leader, being able to um, be able to share the, uh, and being real about some of the struggles that we might, we, might, we might experience, but also being able to share that hope that comes with that. And finishing up, I think it's really, I just want to take us back to a couple of things. We know that we live in a fallen world um, and that we all need Jesus. That's the bad news. Well, we live in the fallen world, that's the bad news. Um, good news is that Jesus has died and conquered the grave. He has won the battle for us. He has given us, given us a, an eternal hope and released his spirit so that we have a glimpse of what that eternal hope looks like on earth today. We don't have to wait till we go to heaven to have a glimpse of heaven. We experience that now through the power of his Holy Spirit um, being revealed to, uh, to us even um, as we um, are sitting here today. And I think this is key for us as Christians because, as I said before in the earlier slide, resilience is to be able to deal with the ups and downs in life with hope and optimism. Hope and optimism isn't just cheering yourself up and having positive psychology. Our hope is founded on truth, the truth of the power of the resurrection and what his death has done for us and the hope that we have in eternity that we can experience even right now. And that hope is what carries us through the ups and downs in life, knowing that the ups and downs happen within God's sovereign power. And, the, and, and throughout that ups and downs in our life and that journey, God's goodness and kindness and mercy will be revealed. And within that also doing wise things and embracing the good things that, that God has given us through, um, through modern medicine and also uh, psychiatry and psychology. 
So it's really important, I think, that we are not just hope, generally hopeful and positive. What we do offer as Christians is a fundamental security and a firm foundation in a hope in something that is tangible and something that is, that is real. I'm just going to close this in a word of prayer, um, and I'll pass, back to, uh, pass this back to Pastor Marty. Father, I stand here declaring that your promises are true, that you are a good God, that you are a God who desires good things for us, God. And we thank you that you love us. You have sent your son on the cross to die for us so that we might live. We might have hope. And you send your spirit so that we have the authority and power to walk on this earth, to declare your gospel, to be a testimony to the people around us, to love, to, to, to be compassionate, to reveal your character through um, what we do in our day-to-day -day life. Father, I pray for anyone here who might be struggling with a mental health condition. Father, I pray for the families and carers and the people around them that also suffer the ripple effects of mental health difficulties. Father, I pray that your peace that surpasses all understanding flood this place right now. Flood our hearts as we carry your presence wherever we go to bring hope and goodness. And, and I pray that you will also raise people in, in a church that will respond to your call in this area of ministry, um, in, in whether it's a young person pursuing uh, future career and opportunities, or wh whether uh, it might be someone that you might be calling into a ministry for us to know that you have called us to make disciples. This discipleship takes relationship and a journey, and being real in this, in this journey. For that, I thank you for the faith in this house. I thank you for the authenticity of your love that is felt in this house. For that, I pray that you bless this congregation. I pray that you bless Pastor Marty and Margot in their ministry here. For that, I believe, Lord, they will touch hundreds and thousands, God. For that, through their life, not by a strategy, God, but through delivering your gospel and your love uh, to the people around them. Father, I commit this time to you. I thank you and praise you for a good God. And Father, I declare, yes, the battle belongs to the Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.